This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. Hello, and welcome to everyone tuning in with us today. My name is Brian Castro, and I am a program officer working with JSI's Immunization Center for the past three years. I'm here with our HPV immunization team in Kenya, which includes Amos Chueya, a regional immunization technical officer who has been working with JSI for over 12 years. Along with him is Isaac Mugoya, a regional immunization technical officer who has been working with JSI for eight years. And of course, we have Lucy Chiatti, an immunization project officer who has been working with JSI for just a year. Today, we are going to talk about the HPV vaccine immunization introduction in Kenya with a special focus on how the HPV vaccine introduction is different than previous new vaccine introductions and how the country is planning to maintain this HPV vaccination while also supporting the COVID-19 response. Amos, Isaac, and Lucy, thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you for having us, Brian. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited to get into this conversation with you all because there's, I know that there's so much information out there um, that we've recently gathered about the HPV vaccine introduction. Um, But before we get into that, I, I have a question for all three of you, and it's, it's about how did you all get here? How are we all here today um, talking about this HPV vaccine introduction? So if I could start with uh, Amos and then Isaac and, and Lucy, how did you find your passion for immunization? Was there like a specific aha moment? Thank you, Brian, again. Uh, looking back, uh, I think I found myself in this area by accident, should I say. I never knew I I was going to work in this area at all. Um, In college, I did what we call a medical laboratory technology course, Mm -hmm. which uh, after I finished, I was posted in one of the facilities to work in the lab, basically diagnosing uh, diseases in the lab. Um, But as we went on, um, I was picked to go and uh, take a course on uh, vaccine production and quality control in Japan, sometimes when I was very young. And when I came back, um, the ministry thought the right place for me to work in is in the vaccine area, then uh, um, an EPI program that was handling vaccines just to make sure that we are taking care of the quality of that vaccine. And from there, I found myself working in immunization supply chain. And that's how I find myself here now. Wow, that's fantastic, thank you. Uh, as for me, I think I'm, my background is medical doctor. I'm, I have a bachelor in medicine and surgery in Kenya, from Kenya. And in 2003, that is 17 years ago, I was posted as a medical officer of health, basically in charge of a district. And I had little experience in public health then. Mm. But as I went on, I quickly realized the importance of immunizations in public health and the role it plays in prevention of diseases. Because out of the many things that I was doing, I think vaccination was taking a lot of my time, as a lot of many things that were happening. 
And I just realized that I just had to learn about vaccination. So that was step number one. Then when I did my master's, I did master's in epidemiology and I was posted to the vaccine program. Mm. And immediately, I think I fell in love with immunization and I have never left, never left immunization since then. Just because I realized how useful it is when it's preventing diseases among children. Basically, because that most of the immunization among children. Mm. And uh, one of the most most important, most of the touching moment about immunization is when I went to investigate an outbreak of a polio case in northern Kenya. And I found a very beautiful girl <laughs> who was the age of my daughter, Ben, who had just been paralyzed because of polio. Mm. And I just couldn't imagine my daughter being in such a situation. So I... I thought this was a calling for me for immunization. So it's a bit personal on that. Wow. Yes, please come my story with immunization. Thank you for sharing. Wow. Uh, thank you. As for me, I think I've always been curious, especially with the BCG scars, scar. I always found myself lifting people's arms just to see the scar and wondered what exactly is this and why does it leave a scar? Anyway, fast forward, I think my passion really was when I joined uh, CHAI, uh, Clinton Health Access Initiative, as a field coordinator. I was actually based in Nairobi County, and I was working with 10 sub-counties just to monitor the way they were, uh, the, to monitor the annual work plan, as well as to see which challenges they were facing. So my strength then was on research. I was actually doing a lot of research then before I joined CHAI. Uh, so sitting down with our health workers, sitting down with clients, uh, doing exit interviews. I think that's when I, I really got, uh, I really got, I, I was happy working in the, in the immunization field and I continued to work for one year. So in the process, I was sitting with the EPA logisticians, the health record information officers, just to see how data is generated and how it ends up uh, being like a coverage. So in the system, the Kenya Health Information System. And after that, I've always found myself in, in immunization because the passion for immunization is now strong. And I'm able to also use my strength, which is research, to come up with tailored solutions that are being faced or just identify the gaps that are being faced and uh, help out. So that was my story. That's my story with uh, immunization. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, um, this this dream team right here of, of, of all you three, I, even though you've been with JSI for, for um, up to 12 years, eight years, one year or so, we can see that you bring so much experience into the table. Um, so with that, I, I, I want to ask you, um, all you three again, can you share, can you tell me a little bit about your role now? that you serve um, uh, with the HPV uh, vaccination project? Um, thank you again, Brian. Amos, I'll go first. I currently um, work as an immunization supply chain technical officer and more so um, supporting, uh, supporting the country in uh, um, getting the vaccines to the people. Um, what we refer to as immunization supply chain. So I've been uh, um, supporting the country um, in uh, um, doing forecast for, for, for the vaccine and making sure the vaccine is available, making sure we have uh, enough cold storage for the vaccine. And uh, of course, uh, uh, making sure that we have enough supplies for, 
for the target of, of, of HPV. Yeah, so I'm more in immunization supply chain and I work, I support the country again in the area of uh, supply chain for vaccines. Great. Well, as for me, I think this is Isaac. I do a lot of things because I'm involved in almost everything that is happening in vaccine, <laughs> except what Amos has to step in. I think he brings in a very is a very good perspective on supply chain, but I do most of the other things because I'm involved in planning, I'm involved in capacity building, I'm involved in monitoring and evaluation and also communications. So I do a lot of things when it comes to HPV. I also sit in the technical working group at the national level, the group that discusses about broadly about the whole program on immunizations, HPV included. And as for the JSI team, I think I'm also serving as a team lead in mm. Kenya for the three of us. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so uh, my role is uh, specific on HPV vaccine. Uh, initially, when I joined uh, JSI, my role was to support uh, the national level uh, during the planning phase uh, of the HPV vaccine rollout uh, through the various uh, working groups that had been established then which are the monitoring and evaluation, um, advocacy, social mobilization and communication, as well as training. So through that, I was able to support the activities that were specific under those working groups. Uh, and especially for, I can mention for advocacy, social mobilization and communication, we developed, I supported the development of IEC materials, as well as um, other, other materials that uh, were developed during that time. So my role has changed a bit uh, with the introduction, with the having introduced the HPV vaccine, my role has changed. And now I, am, I have been able to support uh, four counties uh, with su supportive supervision, just understanding after HPV vaccine rollout, how exactly, how are things going in the county? And also um, understanding the gaps or challenges that um, the, the counties are facing after the introduction, just to see whether we can we can brainstorm with the national level as well as the county themselves, the county staff themselves, to come up with tailored solutions for the challenges. So apart from that, I'm also monitoring data uh, through KHIS, just to see the number of girls that have been reached uh, with uh, HPV vaccine dose one, as well as HPV vaccine dose two. So my role has transformed from the beginning, and it continues to to, to change uh, with time. Uh, looking at the where HPV vaccine is at. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so we have like immunization supply chain, there's advocacy, there is monitoring and evaluation, there's capacity building. There are so many things here. So I think with that, let's get, let's get straight into it and, and dive right into these, um, to our, our conversation about HPV vaccine introduction. And this, this question here, um, uh, I kind of want, want to ask Amos and Isaac. So I know you have supported multiple new vaccine introductions in Kenya over the last several years. What lessons from these previous experiences were useful to you as you supported the introduction of, of HPV? Yeah, true. We, we have had quite a number of uh, new vaccine introductions in the country. And one lesson that we have learned is that we have to plan accordingly for you to introduce a new vaccine. 
and as I mentioned, have uh, bias towards supply chain. So uh, uh, one thing you must know is uh, how much vaccine do you require? What cold storage is that vaccine going to occupy? Um, how do you plan to accommodate that vaccine in the system? Um, what will be your distribution uh, schedules? Um, what will be um, the effects on uh, the extra inject used injection materials? How do you manage the waste that comes out of that? Mm -hmm. That needs to be planned accordingly. Otherwise, you may bring in the vaccine and fail to um, have it uh, in the system. Isaac? Yeah, for me, I think there are some few things I learned. One of them is that uh, we, we all need to be effective in coordinating partners and people involved in, in, uh, in introduction of a new vaccine. But HPV specifically brought another dimension. Apart from the multiplicity of partners, we had also diverse interests among the partners because of the many things that are interested within that area. We are not just dealing with a vaccine. Uh, we are also dealing with a reproductive health issue and we are also dealing with a cancer issue. So all the partners in these two other areas also need to be involved. And we didn't have experience in terms of coordinating people from other areas. So that, for me, is a need for effective coordination that needs to begin early. And also to reiterate what Amos said, planning is much more critical in uh, HPV. Absolutely. The second thing that I learned is that uh, there is an urgent need for Kenya and other countries like Kenya to develop strategies for giving vaccination in this in other populations beyond one year of life. Mm -hmm. Because these are some of the things that we were not so clear what works and what doesn't work. So I think it is important to have those things, those strategies in place. We also, I also learned the importance of communication, proper and targeted communication. Mm -hmm. Because we started late somehow and Apart from communicating for the new vaccine and educating people about the new vaccines, there was also another agenda that cropped up the issue of misconception and people who are opposed to vaccines. So there is a need to develop these kinds of communication first about the vaccines and also about the myths and misconceptions that will, will come. So those are the main things that I learned about uh, HPV. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating on that. So with that, um, how has introducing, introducing the HPV vaccine been different from other new vaccine introductions and specifically about supply chain? So uh, Amos, um, to you, uh, what is different with uh, the immunization supply chain for HPV? Thank you again, Brian. Um, one thing that we, we need to note here is that uh, um, we have always been used uh, uh, to introducing inf infant vaccines. This specific vaccine is not an infant vaccine and therefore had a different target population, which um, we haven't mostly worked with. So one of the different thing here that we, 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 we found is trying to get the, 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 the target 
So for us to be able to, to, to forecast for enough vaccines, we must be sure of the target. Mm. So it was a bit challenging to get um, the actual target <clears throat> for our 10-year-old girls mm-hmm. as, as we did this. So that was something that was, was different. Um, and the other vaccines also do come in uh, uh, multi dose files and therefore require less storage capacity. Um, this particular vaccine that we used from Mark Gatsil was a single dose vaccine and therefore required uh, uh, more storage capacity. And that uh, required us to sit and make sure that we have uh, that storage capacity available uh, across all levels so that we can be able to bring this vaccine in, um, in the right way. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, the, the two challenges that we went through. Um, luckily enough, the country uh, just uh, upgraded its cold chain equipment capacity um, through um, the ongoing Gavi CCOP and uh, some World Bank support that the country got. So um, the storage capacity wasn't that bad. The other thing that uh, was like challenging is the availability of the vaccines themselves. Because um, 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 uh, we were, the market was not readily available to supply the vaccine as per the country needs. So again, it was challenging. We were not sure whether what we, what we ordered for was going to be sufficient for the uh, target population that we we're going to come up with. Again, um, luckily enough, we were able to use a target that uh, worked for us. I think I'll leave it at that, uh, Brian. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Amos. Yeah, you, you mentioned something very interesting there, and it was about target population. So, Isaac, um, I'm wondering if, if you could tell us about the process of mapping out the target population that you did in collaboration with local partners. You know, what, what challenges did you find there? Yeah, thank you, Brian, for that question. Indeed, it was a very challenging thing to do, getting the target for immunizations. One, the, this is not a population that many people are used to having specific interventions for. So it doesn't readily exist compared to some other interventions where we have vaccines for or some other interventions. It was, first and foremost, it wasn't there for us. So we decided that the, these girls are in school, and therefore if you could collaborate with the Ministry of Education and get some data about the number of girls within the school that might give us a good target. We, the first attempt was to try to get data from the ministry, the one because they have some electronic data on schools, but we realized that the data was incomplete, largely incomplete, Mm. and therefore the data that was provided centrally was not, was not going to help as much. So the next best alternative was to work with the schools at the local level, starting from the sub-county and mm-hmm. facility level. And the idea of micromapping is that you take the facilities that we assume would be used to vaccinate girls within those schools and map them to that particular school. In short, allocate the population of those schools, of the girls within those schools to the facilities. And we went to the school, we worked with the teachers we had a form that had information that we were looking for, and we were very specific about the 10 years old. That is a student who were born in 2009, because we really had, didn't have a, a, a enough stock for 
multi age cohort. So we got these populations from schools in collaboration with our facilities. So we had an idea that a certain facility would be able to be targeting this number of schools, and these are the number of 10 year old girls in those schools. Now, that said, we discovered the, the number that was what we got was too high. Probably it was, it was unreasonably high, let me say that. The reason for that may not be so clear, but one of the things is it's the age verifications within schools, we suspect probably was a challenge. Number two, most of the time when you have activities that you're requiring, maybe the districts and schools and facility to give you populations, sometimes we get to get a higher population because these populations are, are linked to resource allocation. But so sort of, yeah, we worked with that and we realized that the data was initially high. The other challenge we found was that this country, we said you are going to introduce vaccine via facility-based approach, through a facility-based approach. Now, when you go to school and map schools to facilities, you are indirectly creating the impression that the school-based approach is what you are going to use. And we have seen shifts of that approach from the counties after we have introduced the vaccine. And I think this could be one of the things that was contributing. So it is the first time we did a micro planning. We don't think we did it very well because it was the first time we had challenges because the counties did it without a lot of support from the national level. They just got the guidance what you need to do. They got the tools but there was no resource attached to them for, for verification purposes and also for quality control. And those are the main challenges we found. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I just, just thinking about um, HPV and how it differs from um, all, of, uh, all of the other vaccines or so, you know, the target population is different because it's not, it's not children under the age of, of, of 12 months or so, you know, it's, it's adolescent girls. So Lucy, I'm wondering um, if, you could, if, if you can tell us a little bit um, about that. So what was different about generating demand for the HPV vaccine with adolescent girls? What sort of approaches did you use or considerations did you make? Uh, thanks, Brian, for that question. Uh, as mentioned uh, before, HPV vaccine is currently targeting girls who are 10 years old, and uh, these girls are currently in school. So this meant uh, having more stakeholders who are not, uh, who usually are not considered when we are dealing with infant vaccines. So some of these stakeholders included the Ministry of Education, whereby we we brought in some of uh, the school head teachers as well as the school health teachers. We trained them on the vaccine, the benefits of the vaccine, as well as how to communicate to the parents who usually come to school for either visiting the prize giving days or even school meetings. So one of the one of the approach that we used was training the school health teachers as well as the mm. school head teachers in order to communicate with the parents. So another another approach that we used, we realized that not all girls are in school. Mm -hmm. So some, some girls are actually in the community and some counties have strong connection with the community health volunteers. Mm -hmm. So this is another approach that we use. So community health volunteer, volunteers were used to sensitize the community, uh, especially the caregivers and the parents about bringing their girls who are 10 years old for the HPV vaccine dose one. So in addition, the religious, um, the religious leaders came in strongly 
So some of the you, you find out that some of the counties were, were, were visiting the, 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 the churches when in session, as well as just to communicate to the, to the congregation about the vaccine, as well as also try to dispel some of the myths and misconceptions that had, uh, had, were in the community. And some of these myths and misconceptions uh, included that the vaccine had, um, a was a contraceptive mm -hmm. and it, it would interfere with infertility. So these are some of the approaches that were used to, especially to sensitize the parents, as well as uh, provide comprehensive information about the vaccine, as well as try and answer the questions that the, the community had. So in addition, the community leaders in, uh, came out strongly. So they were also sensitized so that they can sensitize during uh, community meetings. We call them community barazas in Kenya. So they were sensitized so that when parents come, they can also be told, uh, they can be sensitized about the HPV vaccine, and insta some instances, some instances, some of the health workers were, were invited to talk to the community directly. So those were the approaches that we used. Wow, wow, absolutely, that's that's fantastic. So with that in mind, um, I'm wondering, uh, Isaac. What is the service delivery approach used in Kenya, um, considering all of these challenges? You know, what, what were some of those challenges as well? And, you know, has the service delivery approach changed over time? Yeah, thank you for that question. One, when we were planning for the introduction of the vaccine, actually when you're planning for the application to get support for introducing the vaccine, we had a pilot in one of the counties, that is Kitui County, and the approach then was school-based. We quickly discovered that the school-based approach was not going to be sustainable in the long term. And the technical working group made a decision to use facility-based program approach. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is a approach that Kenya is using, facility-based approach, that is what is officially being used. Yeah. The challenge with that, uh, maybe uh, there are several challenges. First is the timing. Ten years old girls are in school most of the time when the facilities are open. So when girls are at home, the facilities are closed. That is during the weekend and after 5 p.m. So we say facility best, but the time the facilities are open, the girls are not available. So that would mean that now the facilities have to work with the school to see when the girls can get for vaccination. And that creates another challenge of the school balancing between letting the girls learn and get for, get, go for vaccination. So then the other thing that we have is that people realize that facility-based approach, currently we do not have an intervention that is making this population frequent for health facilities. So we are introducing a new vaccine we are introducing a new cohort and also a new experience to this cohort of going to facilities every now and then. And the, the, because of that, it was difficult for them to come to the facilities. So this has seemed to have changed. The counties now have seemed to have adopted a school-based and community outreach approaches. Mm -hmm. We cannot be able to tell how sustainable these are going to be because of the funding, fundings are coming from multiple places. Some are by the counties themselves. So that would depend on the amount of funding that's available. But what we know that this is pretty expensive 
-hmm. We are not sure that they can be sustained because even routinely, we do not have a lot of funding for outreaches for routine activities. Yeah. Yes, that is basically how we are. Great, thank you. Thank you for that. So, Lucy, with that, with that in mind, how do you think experience, uh, experiences with HPV introduction can be applied to other programs, such as other school-based services or other vaccines outside of the traditional schedule? Uh, thank you, Brian. I think what comes to mind and what we've learned over the introduction of HPV is, is basically uh, having partnerships beyond the, the usual immunization uh, stakeholders that we have. So this is in form of strengthening the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health uh, programs, just strengthening the coordination between the two ministries, as well as there's also school health program uh, in, in schools. So strengthening of this school health will actually work especially now uh, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with having, sorry, <laughs> let me take that back. So, um, so I think uh, one of the experiences that we've learned uh, while in, after the introduction of HPV vaccine is the strengthening the coordination of um, the Ministry of Education mm -hmm. with the Ministry of Health, as well as having partnerships uh, beyond uh, the usual immunization stakeholders such as adolescent uh, health, because these girls fall under this category. Mm -hmm. And they are able, they have been able to, to communicate well with the girls. So it's a matter of having people who have been working with adolescents and they okay. understand uh, the adolescents better. So, yes. Wow. Wow, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. So now I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit and put it more into a context of what's, of what's happening now. So uh, Amos and Isaac, I'm hoping you, you can help me with this. So along with the rest of the globe, you know, Kenya has been affected by, COVID, uh, by, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you speak to how COVID-19 has affected HPV introduction in Kenya? Uh, this is Isaac. Uh, it's obvious that COVID-19 has affected HPV vaccination, and not just HPV, but immunization program in general, in several ways. One way that we've seen is that because immunizations are given at health facilities, clients are unwilling to come to get their children or their daughters vaccinated because they know if there's a case of COVID-19, it will be come to a facility. And facilities are looked at as high-risk facilities. Number two, staff who are available for vaccinations. When things are normal, we already understaffed. Now with COVID-19, there was a shift of the roles of, of the staffing so that a lot more staff are, are leaving now, are stopping vaccination, and also so that they can also participate in the prevention and control of COVID-19. So there's less staff to do that. Mm -hmm. Number three, mm -hmm. we've seen some small facilities, especially private clinics that have been closed during this time because of lack of clients, because they depend on paying clients. And when they're not coming, the facilities are closed. And some of these facilities also offer immunization. So some of the immunization facilities have been closed because of COVID-19. The other thing is that uh, the, initially we had a challenge 
of getting the vaccine to the ground, but luckily that has been overcome. And I think now we have enough, we now have enough stock. Basically, those are the few things I can think about that have been affected by COVID-19. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to, 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 to add on, you realize that uh, just before the COVID-19, um, 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 most counties had started to reach more girls. And that's after um, trying to address some of the challenges that uh, Lucy alluded to. The church leaders who again is the vaccination the, the myths and you know the misconceptions were trying to be addressed. Then came came COVID and everything went down. Mm. So again, to reverse that, uh, it's gonna take some time. And yeah. one, an extra thing that I wanted to add on to this is, uh, again, uh, there were cancellation of flights and most of our vaccines come from outside the country. Mm -hmm. And the cancellation of uh, passenger flights um, affected uh, the delivery of uh, some of our vaccines into country, especially um, three vaccines and one of the most HPV. Some mm -hmm. of the shipments had to delay as they awaited uh, uh, the cargo flights because then initially we were using passenger flights to bring the vaccines in. They are not very big uh, loads, but uh, again, with those cancellations, um, there were delays in getting the vaccines in. But uh, currently, I can say that uh, now using the cargo flights, we are able to ship in uh, sufficient vaccines. Wow, absolutely. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it's hard to see the impact that you know, a, a pandemic has um, until we start to notice you know, the, how it's actually affecting the national programs. So thank you. Thank you for, um, for sharing. So, I know that um, Amos and Isaac, you, you were in Kenya when we were preparing the country for the introduction. So looking back on the time when the country was preparing for HPV introduction, is there anything that has surprised you now that the country is a couple of years into the implementation process? What did you wish you knew before the introduction took place that you know now? I think there are some few things that uh, we have learned. One, making people realize that HPV vaccine requires special attention is, is challenging. Most of us, especially with the partners, we have a lot of support from maybe our headquarters and from other countries. We have a lot of communications. Countries do not usually have that. And to make people realize that this is not a vaccine that needs, is going to be introduced like the previous vaccines was a bit more difficult than I thought, than I thought. That's the first thing. The second thing is that target setting for this population is not easy. To get it right is not easy and it requires a little bit more consensus and a little bit more of a little more of coordination with other partners than I thought. Mm -hmm. Yes, the third thing I learned that facility-based is easy on paper, but not in the field. Absolutely. Yes. I would uh, add that um, 
as Isaac has uh, brightly put it, coordination. I think uh, the issue of communicating the same to communities is very important because if the communication was right and uh, the issues of the church leaders and those guys with myths and misconceptions were addressed on time, we wouldn't have uh, the we wouldn't have to to address those issues after the introduction. Mm -hmm. I remember in one of the meetings, one of the EPI program managers in Kenya said, you wait until the vaccine comes. We are going to run short of that vaccine because they're out, the, 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 the people will come out for the vaccines will be more. But that is not what we have seen. Mm -hmm. We have seen people not coming, turning out freely for the vaccine. And I think the element of communication here was, was not well addressed. Uh, at the preparatory time. Over. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. So now we are, you know, a couple of years into uh, implementation. And Lucy, I'm wondering from your perspective, um, how have people reacted to the introduction of HPV? Uh, thank you, Brian. I can say uh, at the beginning there were mixed reaction, especially when the vaccine was introduced, the HPV vaccine was introduced. Uh, some parents embraced it uh, immediately, while others waited for more communication and clarification. So in all honesty, I can, I can say it's been six months, since uh, seven months now, since the introduction of the HPV vaccine. Uh, there has been great uh, progress which is actually backed by the number of girls that have been reached uh, with the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And currently we are seeing a lot of demand, especially for the cohort that has turned 10. That's uh, the 20, the girls who were born in 2010. Mm -hmm. However, I think more efforts are needed to sustain those gains. And especially now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah, in addition to what Lucy has said, I think we still have a lot of work to do in terms of communicating. We, the, 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 the discourse on HPV was live and uh, active during the introduction period. We have not sustained it. And I think we still have a lot of mixed reaction from people. People are still not, they, 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 not everyone is convinced that this vaccine is safe because people consume a lot of information from informal media and social media. And what goes in those, through those media is something that is not vetted, it's not something that can be justified, but people do not have a way of, of getting to know that. So I think we still have a lot of work to do in terms of communicating and educating the population. Absolutely. 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 Thank you. So I, I know that we're, we're reaching towards the end of our discussion here, and um, I'm, I'm kind of sad because I'm, I'm just learning so much of, of, of this experience of HPV introduction uh, in Kenya. But before we go, I, I have a question for, for all you three, and this, this, this might be getting um, into just your, into your personal perspective, but how has your life been affected personally by this work? I think I'm a happy person for one reason. We have a vaccine that prevents against a very serious problem. I think those people who oppose the vaccine do not understand what cancer is. 
especially cancer of cervix. I do understand that. I lost two close people to this problem because there was no opportunity. Mm. And for me to see it being introduced and to prevent such a problem, it makes me very proud, and especially to be involved and to see that I'm part of it. And I think I'm still passionate enough to do with all that is required to be done to ensure that this vaccine is fully embraced and also to do that I can do to ensure that the people, as many girls as possible, get the vaccine, even to talk at individual level to people who are opposed to vaccine and who may not be very much confused. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I have got some new drive to be an advocate than before. Absolutely. Um, this is Amos. I am, I am equally happy that uh, finally this vaccine has been introduced into the country and uh, looking forward to um, all the girls that are turning 10 receiving this vaccine and of course um, reducing the cancers um, um, in the country as, as, as we move on. I have also been able, and this is not very new, to learn that, uh, to learn our country. There's a lot of social, social stuff that is, can make a good project fail because of lack of information. So again, we are hoping that, I'm, I'm keeping praying that uh, um, our people will uh, accept this vaccine and, and, and have uh, vaccinated and reduce um, cancer due to this disease. Thank you. For me, I think it has been a learning, uh, a learning process for me, uh, looking at the journey from when uh, we started the planning, the plan- planning for the vaccine to now where we've already introduced the vaccine. And then uh, visiting the counties that we support and being able to listen in to the challenges that, for example, uh, County A is facing while County B doesn't have those challenges. And also looking at ways in which you can look at the problems, the challenges being faced and how you're going to address them. I think for me, it's been a learning process and I'm happy. I think I have learned a lot. Some, in some cases, you don't have answers, but you just sit with the people who understand the context better and they, they're able to come up with some of the able to come up with some some suggestions that if you think through you try them and see whether they are going to work so it's been trial and error as well and i'm happy that i didn't have definite answers because in the process i've learned uh this this version might not work but the the next one might work for a bit Mm -hmm. another one might work for a long longer time so it's just working with the with the people's uh the people concerned and trying to be better at it all all the uh, one step at a time so I've learned a lot and I'm happy for this journey. Wow, thank you, Lucy. Yeah, and you're, um, I think you're, you're absolutely right that, that all of this, this is all uncharted territory, you know, kind of aiding a country to introduce an HPV vaccine, let alone an HPV vaccine in the midst of a, of a pandemic is, 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 is a learning experience for, for, for all of us. Um, but truly, I, I want to say thank you for your time today. Um, it, it really has been just a pleasure just to hear your experience um, through this HPV introduction 
in Kenya. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that, that, that we had this opportunity to just talk. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to, to say to, to, to wrap up? Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure having you, Brian. I think it is, it is good sharing our experience and we hope that other countries and other, we learn and get some few lessons. They may not be in the same circumstances like Kenya, but we hope this would help them think through what needs to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on Voices of Public Health. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Amos. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast.